Good morning, Bridge, and Happy New Year to you. Everyone have a good holiday? Everyone ready to go on a diet? All right, I am. I just got back from seeing my grandchildren, and the theme daily, many times daily, was my little granddaughter coming up and patting me on the tummy and saying, you got a big belly, Papa. (laughs) So I said, okay, Papa will take care of that big belly. But uh, Happy New Year to you all. I'm glad to be back with you. Always miss you. Today, we have something special for you today. In fact, many believers go their entire life as a believer, as a Christian, never getting an opportunity to witness what you're going to witness this morning. About a year ago, we had a need for a student ministries director, a youth pastor, and the Lord brought us Barnabas Johnson. He has done a magnificent job with our youth. I mean, they are busting at the seams. They are excited for the Lord. And uh, they are uh, ju- just doing amazing. And Barnabas and Tiffany have done such a great job in, in uh, building that department. He's ready to take the next step in his service to the Lord. And that is to be officially ordained. And we thought today, the first Sunday of a new year, would be the perfect time to share with you this time-honored tradition, ceremony, and celebration. So Barnabas is going to come in a moment, and this group of elders, and let me introduce them, our chairman of the board of elders, Evans Bryce, Jeff Lazama, Reverend, he's ordained, Glenn Sanford, Dan Trotman, Pastor Bob, you know, and Pastor Evans. They are going to be our ordination council, and they're going to grill this guy. So we want to make sure he believes what we believe, right? And you are his ordaining church, and that's why it's appropriate that we do what we do. In John 15, 16, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. Now, that's Jesus' challenge to every believer because we are all a priesthood. But beyond that, in order to have organization, in order to have leadership, God so designed through the Holy Spirit and the, the original apostles to have offices to oversee the churches as they grew. Acts 14.23 says, And when they had appointed, speaking of, of Paul, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So there is an eldership. Now that's a two-pronged eldership. One is a lay eldership, like many of these men here who serve our church, and they, they look over certain aspects of the church and the governance of the church. Then there are ordained elders. 1 Timothy 3.1 says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, a pastor, he desires a noble task. That's a noble thing. And in fact, it comes with some special recognition. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially 
Those who labor in preaching and teaching, and that is what Barnabas has been called by God to do, and today seals that covenant with the Lord. Now, lest he get a big head about that, Scripture also says in James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers. My brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That's important to remember. So today, Barnabas comes to take part in a tradition, a ceremony, a celebration that has been practiced by the Christian church for some 2,000 years now. This ordination council is going to help him through the process. You will be the witnesses to his ordination procedure. And so without further ado, let's pray and ask God to be at the center of this. Father, we thank you for Barnabas, and we thank you that you have called him to a lifetime of service to you. We pray now that uh, as we as a church follow your word, and as we interrogate him as to his faith, and then as we extend to him ordination from this church, from this ordination council, uh, Lord, to go into all the world, beginning here where he's at, and then wherever you may take him through his life, and be a faithful witness, a faithful overseer, a faithful teacher of the word of God. May this be true for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you welcome Barnabas? I'm going to invite our chairman of the board of elders to ask the first question. Amen. Good morning, church. Pastor Barnabas, please share your testimony of salvation in your call to the ministry with us. Uh, um, this is a really emotional one for me. Um, so I was raised in a Christian household. My mother was a very committed Christian. At a very young age, at the age of 14, um, my father left our house, so I didn't have a father figure in my life. And at that time, I veered from the faith. When I say veered from the faith, I actually became agnostic, not believing, not believing if there was a God or there wasn't a God. And I turned my back on the Lord and my mother. I must truly say this. One thing I say, and this is a very emotional thing for me. I was in the back just now just asking God just to help me get through this to say this. But I'm a product of my mother's prayers by far. So, I turned my back on the Lord for a very long time and um, had a fight with the Lord. Um, I never wanted to be a part of ministry. It was never my desire. Um, in fact, my mother always told me as a kid, like one day I was going to change the world. And I, I didn't believe it was through ministry. I thought it was at one point through basketball. Um, and... She prayed for me. I mean, there's times where I was in trouble with the law. I fought my mother. I mean, put my hands on my mother at a very young age. And I had no respect at all. Yeah, so I went through this, this period of just turning from God. I became a club promoter, lived in the world, promoted the club for about four years, lived, cameo, gym, dream, all the clubs on South Beach. 
And that was my lifestyle. I remember many nights my mother praying for me, calling me, telling me, I see you in dreams dying. My brothers was praying for me constantly, constantly, constantly. Thank you, Pastor. My brothers prayed for me. My sisters prayed for me. And I wasn't a believer. I used to crack jokes at Thanksgiving prayer. They used to pray. I used to make fart sound effects. And I used to do all type of foolish things. And one day my brother gave me a call. And he's like, hey, bro, there's this party in Gainesville. It's a club. You're going to love it. You need to be there. I'm like, okay, I'm excited. I got dressed. I'm excited. We're driving to Gainesville. I'm bumping the music in the car. At the time, I was bumping Jeezy. I love some Jeezy at that time. So I'm bumping Jeezy. We're driving up the road. We hit Gainesville. As we put up to Gainesville, he pulls up to a church. And I'm like, a church? It's not a club, bro. He says, listen, you're going to hate me for this, but you're going to love me for this later. So as he pulled up to the church, he says, listen, we're going to be here for three days. I said, listen, bro, you don't want to put me in the church. I don't believe in God. I'm going to cause records. I'm going to cause hell. They're going to hate me. They're going to hate you after this experience. <laughs> I highly advise you take me back to Miami. And um, I get to this retreat. I'm fighting God the whole time, going through a tug of war with God. And I didn't believe in God. Um, it was one of the best days of my life. I'll tell you why I get there in a second. Um, so when I'm at this retreat, I have this encounter with God. I'm like, God is not real. God is make-believe. I'm going. I'm fighting it. And I remember this song. It was... Um, it was no more shackles, no more shame, no more something. I am free. It was freedom. And they were singing a song, and they was jumping up and excited. And hearing that song, I mean, I say, God, if you're real, you're going to need to show me. And, I, and I, I'm going to tell you this. And um, this is out of unbelievers. I fell to my knees. I became very weak. I started shaking, crying. I started vomiting, vomiting, vomiting. I couldn't stop to a point where I was like, okay, God, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. My brother comes and hugged me, and it was one of the most emotional times. At this time, me and my brother was at war. I was in the world. He was loving Jesus, and it was a constant friction. He comes to me. He hugs me. says, this is the most happiest. Because I said, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. He says, I've never been so happy. This is the most happiest day of my life to see you come to Christ. And at that moment, my life was changed forever. He goes, he gives me these letters. My mom writes these letters. My sisters write these letters. In that letter, I could actually read it and see my mother's tears in the writing. And I just began to weep and weep and weep and weep and weep. And I was baptized. So going forward a little bit, two years has progressed. And um, I'm going through this tug of war. I'm still a club promoter. But see, here's the thing when you come to meet Jesus. It's real easy to live this lifestyle in the world where you have no knowledge of Jesus. But the minute I had an encounter with Christ, it became the hardest thing ever. Because I tried to stay the same and follow Jesus. And if you know anything about your relationship with Christ, you can't stay the same when you meet Jesus. Amen, church. So I tried to stay the same and worship a God a God, Jesus Christ, and I just couldn't do it. So I was in this tug of war for two years, and I said, man, I wish, and I was so angry at my brother because I told him, I wish I never encountered God because before it was easy for me to live in sin, and now I can't live in sin no more the way I used to live in sin. So I gave it all up, went to the corporate America. God blessed me. I didn't have an education. I ended up getting five, no, three degrees, a master's, an MBA, double master's, double bachelor's. I was a corporate America, Spirit Alliance, worked for Crystal Cruise Lines, um, making a considerable amount of money. And I thought that would bring me happiness. And God says, no. I didn't call you to money. I didn't call you to a life of money and finance. And I was so miserable. And God says, I called you to ministry. I said, no, God. <laughs> Wait, pause. I'm not the person that's talking in front of people. I have a speech impediment. Anybody can tell you I stutter when I get nervous. Thank God I'm not stuttering now. I prayed for that last night, y'all, church. Um, so I have a speech impediment. I said, God, this is not me. I felt like Moses. This is not my calling. God was like, no, you're called to this. I said, no, God, I'm not. You're called to this. And to make a long story short, I left corporate America and went to seminary for four years. I started serving tables. I never saw myself serving tables. I wasn't a serving tables type of guy, but little did I know God was not calling me to serve tables, but he was preparing me to serve his church. 
So in those four years after graduating seminary, so thankful for Pastor Pete and this elder board, they gave me the opportunity to exercise the calling upon my life, and ever since then, my life has been forever changed. And I've been here with this beautiful family and serving here as the youth pastor, the next-gen pastor for the British Church. Pastor Barnabas, please discuss for us the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God basically states that God has all authority over all things. And everything is, thank you, Pastor, is under the realm authority of God's authority. God is sovereign over salvation. God is sovereign over the universe. He has control of all things. I believe that God is absolutely sovereign. He has given man free will. What does that mean, Pastor? What I'm basically communicating to you is that God has given every man the free will to make a decision to accept him or reject him. And in that decision, God has control. He has the foreknowledge about the decision that ultimately that every man will eventually make. 1 Timothy 2.4 says that Jesus desires all people to be saved, not some people, all people to be saved. In Genesis 1, 1, it tells us in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. One thing you know about a creation is that it must submit to the creator. Amen. Amen. So God is the creator over all things. He, he does have control over all things. He foreknows all things. Colossians 1 verse 16 says this, for we were all things under the sun in heaven was made by him and for him and through him. All things was made for Jesus Christ. He has full control. Even when we feel like life is so hard and we feel like the world's on our back and even in our prayers, we feel like God is not listening. I'm here to tell you something today, church. God is sovereign. God has control over all things, even when that sounds or feels hard to believe. Please state your position on the Holy Scripture, the Bible. Um, Scripture is the authoritative Word of God. What that basically means is simply this. Scripture is everything we need for the Christian faith and for the practice. Scripture is without error. Scripture is authoritative in every way, shape, and form. The Scripture is God-breathed. Second Timothy 3 verse 16 tells us all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, and rebuking. And it also says further that it's useful for the, for the equipping of the saints for every good work. The Bible, Scripture, was written by man, but it was also divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. First, Second Peter 1 tells us, above all, all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by man's own interpretation. It came about by the Holy Spirit. And one thing I did last night is research this, in which you all know, you probably heard it before, that the Bible is the most read book in the world. In the period it says 3.9 billion were sold over the last 50 years. The book is the Word of God. It's what guides us, it's what keeps us, and helps us be who God has called us to be. Follow up on that. Please discuss the eternal state of humanity. The eternal state of humanity is simply this, that every man, every man has a final destination. If you believe in you, believe in Jesus Christ. Scripture is clear in the book of Daniel. It says that many who are asleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life. The Bible says in John 3, 16, I'm quite sure we all heard it before, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes believes in him shall have everlasting life. While that is the great part about eternity and um, our eternal state, um, the not so good part is the part where if we are unbelievers and we don't have faith in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we will experience eternal suffering 
and that place called hell. And those are the two destinations for our eternal state. Romans 6.23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Pastor Barnabas, please explain to us salvation and God's plan for forgiveness. Salvation is obtained only through faith and faith alone, not by works. The Bible says in the book of Romans, it's by faith so that no man can boast. There is nothing we can possibly do in our power to earn salvation. Salvation is a gift. It involves the redemption of the whole man. And salvation is only accomplished through Jesus Christ's rock, rock, Jesus Christ death on the cross on Calvary in no other way. Ephesians tells us, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is a gift, so no man can boast. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says this, it says, for he has made him to be sin who knew no sin so that he might become, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Please, if you will, discuss the concept of grace. Grace, grace, grace is one of the most beautiful things. Grace is the love and mercy that God has shown to us. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, which is sin, and getting, no, getting what you don't deserve, which is sin and death, and getting what you did not earn, which is life. God's grace is what saves us according to Ephesians 2.8. God's grace is the essence of the gospel, which is according to Acts 20, verse 24. God's grace gives us victory over sin, which we see in James. And God's grace gives us eternal encouragement and a good hope. Ephesians 2, verse 8 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. By grace, by God's grace and love alone. Galatians 2.16 tells us that no person is justified by the works of the law but it's justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 1, 1, 11, 6 says this, it is by grace that you have been saved. And if it wasn't by grace, then the death of Jesus Christ is void and null. It's by the grace of God only that we are saved, church, as Christians. Please state your position on the eternal security of the believer. Once a person has their faith, they, can't, they cannot lose their faith. You were saved, you are saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. What does that mean? It simply means this. When we came to Christ, we were justified by faith. We were, we were sanctified by God. We were sanctified by God, and we were sealed by the Holy Spirit. A Christian cannot lose their faith, but they can lose their fellowship with God and their fellowship with the church. What I mean by that is simply this, um, that in losing their fellowship, the only way they can regain their fellowship is through repentance of sin. And through the repentance of sin, because we know that God is sinless, Jesus is sinless, and sin and God cannot mix like oil and vinegar. So therefore, in order for us to regain that fellowship, it's only through us and our repentance. John 5 tells us, he says this, I write these things so that you may believe in the name of Jesus Christ who gives us eternal life. And John 10, 28 tells us, they shall never perish and no one shall take them out of my hand. And John three sixteen is often quoted and is one of the most powerful and profound scriptures in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him shall have eternal life, everlasting life. Whoever shall believe in him, they can't, you cannot lose your salvation, but you can lose your fellowship. Pastor Barnabas, please share your position on the method 
and significance of baptism. Baptism, Christian baptism is only um, done, you see in the Bible, through the immersion of water. It is an act of obedience. Baptism does not save us. Baptism is an outer expression of our inner transformation. So when we're baptized, we're basically declaring that the old has gone and the new has come. All right? We are identifying ourselves with the death, the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I must say this, baptism is not essential for salvation, but it is a command for us to give our testimony to the world. Romans 6, 4 simply says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that we too may live a new life. I love this scripture. It tells us Galatians that the old has gone and the new has come, and that newness is seen through baptism. It is very symbolic in the newness in our walk with Jesus Christ and our commitment, our lifelong commitment to Jesus Christ. Barnabas, what is the significance of the Lord's Supper, the Holy Communion? In the book of 1 Corinthians, Jesus says this. He says he took this, he took this bread, he broke this bread and drank this cup. He says, do this in remembrance of me until I return again. The Lord's Supper is done in remembrance of the Father to commemorate his death. When we partake in the Lord's Supper, we're engaging in the fellowship and we're proclaiming Jesus Christ until he return again. We are celebrating and remembering what Jesus did on Calvary on that day. But the Lord's Supper is done in remembrance of Jesus Christ and promotes the fellowship of the believers. Okay, the events leading up to and subsequently to Jesus' second coming. Scripture is clear, and I believe in the pre-tribulation, the personal, excuse me, the personal pre-tribulation and premillennial return of Jesus Christ. The New Testament and the book of Revelation makes it clear and gives some details about Christ's return and his second coming. It simply says, one, that we will experience the rapture of the church where all believers will meet with Jesus Christ in the clouds. And following the rapture would be the tribulation, seven years on earth where God will judge the earth. The tribulation ends with the second coming of Christ where Jesus ultimately, not ultimately, I'm sorry, I'm not saying ultimately, defeats Satan. And after he defeats Satan, we go into the period called the millennial kingdom, the earthly reign and rule of Jesus Christ, 4,000 years. And at that time, Satan will be freed. And ultimately, God, Jesus, will defeat Satan and the unbelievers. And ultimately, we will reign with him for eternity. Pastor Barnabas, if this ordination council decides not to ordain you, what would be your response? <laughs> I would be extremely thankful for their consideration and the opportunity. Just First of all, I want to thank the church and thank you gentlemen for giving me the opportunity to stand on this platform today and to exercise the calling which God has given me. For a long time, I have been encouraged to pay for ordination. I have family members who have churches that has encouraged me and said, we will ordain you. But I always felt fit or knew that when the time was right, Jesus will ordain me for the ministry in which he have called me. Ordination is one step, but I was called the day I was born. And I understood that calling at the age of 23, and I have committed myself to live that. So if I was not ordained today, I will go and continue on serving the Lord in the capacity in which I'm called as the next-gen pastor, director, anything you want to call me in all honesty, because I know that my commitment is to Jesus Christ and um, a title doesn't make me. Um, he makes me and he made me and he's called me and he will perfect me and he will work through me in any capacity and every capacity in which I am given to represent my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.
Barnabas, I thank you for your responses. I've attended numerous ordination ceremonies, and your responses have been biblical, and I appreciate that. That is so important. To the ordination council, all in favor of proceeding with the ordination of Barnabas, would you please signify it by saying aye. Aye. Any who are opposed to moving forward, signify it by saying aye. Church, as the ordination church, all in favor of moving forward with Barnabas' ordination, would you signify it by saying amen? Amen. Any opposed? Say aye. All right. With that in mind, and let me redo the stage here. I'm going to charge you to remain faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. With your ordination, you are not being given a title. You are not being given an office or perk. You are being entrusted with a responsibility. You are entering into a covenant first and foremost with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. Secondly, you are entering a covenant with the Bridge Church that you will remain faithful to the word, not to culture, not to philosophy, not to whims, not to church this and that, but faithful to the word because it is our only source of divine revelation. Do you agree to that challenge and those conditions? Yes, I do. I'm going to invite you to come over and to kneel. I'm going to invite the ordination council to come, if you would, please. And lay hands on Barnabas. Eternal God, we now come to you in fulfillment and obedience to your scripture, to your word. To once again, as has been done for over 2,000 years now. To commission yet another man who you have called into a lifetime service of Jesus Christ. He is not called to be someone famous. He is not called to be someone with exceptional power. He is called to be a humble servant of Jesus, to care for those you love, to be a shepherd, a leader, a guide. Lord, we pray now collectively that your power, the power of the Holy Spirit will be on Barnabas in great evidence, with great demonstration, that you will empower him to preach with boldness and conviction and never dip his colors. We pray that you will give him the power and the wisdom to lead people as they try to figure life out and as they look to him for guidance. Lord, bless him. Give him a spirit spirit of humility, of courage, of wisdom, and above all, of perseverance and dedication to you, his God. We pray this to be true in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Rise. Barnabas, on behalf of the Ordination Council, the pastoral staff, the Board of Elders, and the Fellowship of the Bridge Church, 
we present you with your certificate of ordination. I take great pleasure in introducing to you for the very first time, Reverend Barnabas Johnson. Any last words? I just really, honestly, I really, I'm really thankful for this church. Um, honestly, there is no other place I'd rather be than the British Church. The love you guys have shown me in the last 10 months, man, has been more than any man um, deserve or could expect from any one of you all. So thank you for the opportunity. I thank these pastors, these elders, and deacons for believing, with, and believing in me and giving me this opportunity to stand before you today and be on this platform. Um, I always said this is... Not an easy thing, but it's worth it because I'm just so thankful for the opportunity to see lives change every day and see students coming to Christ. Um, it's, been, it's been a great experience, and I know that there's a long road ahead, and I'm so excited for what God's going to do through me um, and, and the way he's going to use me for generations and times to come. So thank you again, church. Amen. Thank you, Barnabas. We're going to take that back from you because we're going to give it to you two yes. more times today. Would you please thank our ordination council, too? for their service and for their offering today. On the first Sunday of the new year, I think it appropriate that we observe the Lord's Supper so that we remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ because that's what Christianity is all about. That's what the church is about. And without that, we have no reason to, to assemble today. I was going to have Barnabas actually officiate communion today, but I thought he had enough on his plate and thought I'd give him a break. We'll get him out here another time. But I'm going to invite our deacons, our ushers to come down, and they're going to distribute the communion trays. I'm going to encourage you to first take a cracker, put it on your lap, and then take one of the cups and hold it until we've all received and we'll take, partake of communion together. If you are here today, and part of your New Year's resolution has been to try to find a relationship with God, today's service has been a little unusual from what we normally do here at the bridge, but you have heard in the responses to the ordination questions, you have heard the fundamentals of Christianity. If you're here today seeking a relationship with God, know that God has already been seeking a relationship with you. In Psalm 53, verse 2, Scripture says, God looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand any who seek God. What that means is God is constantly scanning the face of the earth. And he's constantly looking for a man. He's looking for a woman. Wherever they are in any remote place on this planet. And remember, God is omnipresent. That's one of his divine attributes. He can be everywhere at one time. And he's searching for that man, for that woman whose heart is tender towards him. And when he sees that person, he will go to that person in the form of the Holy Spirit 
and he will use human resources, some like Barnabas, who now has entered a lifetime ministry towards the Lord Jesus, to come with a message of forgiveness, a message of salvation. John 5, 24, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Boy, I, I mean, if I'm going to believe something, I'm going to believe Jesus, amen? And he says, listen to me in this. He says, I'm telling you the truth. Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes him, that's God, who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. One of the questions Barnabas was asked was about the eternal state of man. And Barnabas said, scripturally speaking, scripture says that every human being will spend eternity in one of two places, either in absolute separation from God, in a horrible place called hell, or in heaven with Christ and God. And Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth now. Jesus said, listen to me. Anyone who hears my word and believes the one who sent me will not be condemned. They won't have that horrible eternal life. Therefore, Paul declared in Romans 10.9 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? It, means that, it doesn't mean that, that Christianity is another religion. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. And it's about relationship with Jesus. And a recognition and a humility that says, Jesus, you are Lord. You are the only way. There is no other way than you, Jesus. Without you, Jesus, I'm hopeless. Without what you did on the cross, Jesus, I'm helpless. Without you, Jesus, I am doomed to that eternity of separation from God. Not about me, Jesus. It's about you. So this is the first step is to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And the second step is to believe in our heart everything God revealed about Jesus, that he died on the cross. But on the third day, he rose again. See, he conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered sin. And because he was willing to be an atoning sacrifice for humanity, Jesus went willing to the cross. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. He says, I lay it down. In another case, Jesus said, don't you think that, that I could call upon my Father and he would send 12 legions of angels? That's like 12 divisions of an army. And rescue me? Jesus said, no one takes my life. I lay it down. And so in humility, we confess that Jesus is Lord. We believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And everyone who does that, Scripture says, will be saved. Now, for someone here today, on this first Sunday of a new year, maybe that's why God brought you to the bridge today. And in, in, in the verse preceding, that verse we just looked at in Romans chapter 10, 8, it says, the word is near you. The truth is right here. It says, it is in your mouth, and it's in your heart. It's on the tip of your tongue. It's just a matter of confessing that Jesus is the Lord. It's a matter of believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. He says, it's right here. Your eternal state is right here, right now. It's the word of faith 
that we're proclaiming. Acts 2.21 says, and everyone, say that with me, and, and who? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. So, oh, not me. Yeah, everyone. Everyone. Jesus died for everyone. That's what this is about, see, that we're about to do. Is a ceremony of remembrance, and that's what Jesus made it, a ceremony of remembrance. After each element, Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Has nothing to do with our salvation. Our salvation is based on our confession that Jesus is Lord and our belief that God raised him from the dead. But Jesus had to pay a price. God had to pay a price, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus had to pay a price. No one, lay, no one takes my life from me. I freely lay it down. And that night, Jesus shared with his disciples in an upper room, the last Passover meal with him. And during that Passover, knowing what was about to happen, at some point in that Passover meal, Jesus took bread and he gave thanks to God for the bread and he broke it and he passed it to his disciples said, this is my body broken for you. They had no idea what he was talking about, but he did. He said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus knew that not only was his body going to be broken, beat, and whipped, and scourged, but he knew ultimately that he was going to shed blood on the cross. And he knew that his end would come not from asphyxiation, which is the normal death by crucifixion, but the hands of a Roman soldier running a spear into his heart. So Jesus, later in the Passover meal, took his cup, and he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Paul later said in his letter to the Corinthians, his first letter in chapter 11, he says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, what did that verse say? It's right here. It's right here, right now. It's on the tip of your tongue. It's at the gate of your heart. If you've never done it, won't you do it right now? Let's bow our heads. All you need to do to receive that forgiveness is ask for it. That's all God wants. Say, oh, I don't know how to do it. Well, I'm going to give you a little template prayer here. It's not magical. It's not an incantation. I'm just making up these words, but... Maybe you can make this prayer your prayer to God and pray to him right now. God, I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Hear me, God. 
I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. There is no one, no one, nothing else but Jesus. And God, search me now. I believe in my heart that he died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. And Jesus, I get it now. Salvation comes through you. There's no other name given to men under heaven by which we must be saved. It's you, Jesus. And so, Jesus, today, I ask you to be my Savior. I ask you to pay my sin debt with your blood. Today, I believe on the name of the Son of God for eternal life. Today, I believe on you, Jesus, as my Savior. Now, for everyone who prayed that prayer, Jesus has fulfilled that promise, and he has given you eternal life. You're not the same person you were when you came in. 1 John 5, 13 says, These things I write to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for taking to us to this place where we can leave here not hoping we're going to make it, not hoping we're going to do good enough to get to heaven, but knowing that through what Jesus has already done on our behalf, our eternal future is sealed, sealed through our faith in him. Now, Lord, bless us in this new year in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen.